This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 155, Six Ways to Spend Less and Enjoy Life More. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode. I'm so glad you've been able to take some time out of your day to spend time with me and to think through some not-so-average paradigm shifts in the way we spend money and also enjoy life more. Now, during the last recession, it was actually pretty trendy to cut up your credit cards and to be debt-free. I remember when I was just getting to Chicago, this would have been 2008, 2009, I remember my very first YouTube video recording was me cutting up our last credit card. I had a weird after-college goatee and it was a little embarrassing. I'm sure it's out there on the interweb somewhere. However, I would say as a nation, that fad of cutting up cards and being debt-free, that fad wore off rather quickly, didn't it? Now, over the past several years, six-year term loans have become common for financing cars, according to Experian. And consumer debt rose 6.9% to a record of $4.2 trillion in December of 2019. Guys, this was before the pandemic even started. Now, I would say that now more than ever, since the coronavirus has hit our shores, Americans are drowning in debt. Prior to the Great Recession of 2008, or I'll say the less Great Recession of 2008, many Americans were struggling to keep their heads above water. When the bubble bursts, those with the most debt were left drowning in a sea of financial insolvency. That was back in the last recession. Now, the country has recovered financially, but due to COVID-19 and the pandemic that's ensued and the financial crisis that's still unfolding in this country— we're threatening to derail each of our household's economies and the national economy once more. But good news is there's a bright side. Debt, along with consumer spending, has fallen dramatically in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. In May 2020, U.S. consumer debt fell by 5.3% to $4.1 trillion, and that's after falling 20% in April, 20% and a 4.5% drop in March before. So we've been taking this pandemic, financially anyway, very seriously. So have we finally seen the light? Are we ready to take our financial lives seriously? Are we scorning debt for the rest of our lives? No, not at all. It appears that most of the debt payoff came from many Americans who were simply stashing away their stimulus checks, either by paying off their debts and or putting that money into savings. So that unemployment check is not exactly a long-term financial strategy. And we weren't buying as much now that we're locked in our homes, etc. Things like automobiles and uh, fancy new trips and cruises, God forbid, over the last few months. So history has shown us that we will go back to our spending spree as soon as the coast is clear. But why is that? Why is that? Borrowing creates this illusion that we can afford a better lifestyle than we actually really can. And sooner or later, 
the debt chickens come home to roost. It's never pretty when the debt chickens come home to roost. But here's the strangest part of this whole thing. Relationships and experiences can, quote, buy more happiness than more stuff can buy happiness. If you're not convinced by that, let me give you a quick way to prove my point here. Think back. Do you remember what you got from the holidays for, as a gift maybe five years ago? Go ahead. I'll let you take a walk through memory lane there. What about even just two years ago or even last year, possibly? No, I didn't think so. Whether it's the holiday season or not, we're all confronted with spending temptations all day long. Ads on YouTube videos and television and anywhere else you consume content, articles online. Madison Avenue is a center for advertising in this country, and they spend literally billions of dollars manipulating us into buying things that we don't want and that we don't need. So it's not a surprise that we've got people who are in debt up to their eyeballs. They're being told to do so every day, all day long, 24 hours a day. Now, I want to introduce a concept or a principle to you, something my wife, Katrina, introduced to me when she was going through art school, and it's a phrase called Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is a principle in art and philosophy, really, and theology, too. It's a principle that says, quote, entities should not be multiplied without necessity. I'll say that again. Entities should not be multiplied without necessity. The idea of this English Franciscan friar, his name is William of Ockham, he was a scholastic philosopher and theologian. He was de describing and defending this idea of divine miracles. But another way to say his principle is that one should try to reduce an idea or a product or a goal or a project in your life to try to reduce it down to its absolute most simplest form possible. Think of the iPhone. When it first came out, Steve Jobs took a very complex BlackBerry, which was very popular in the business market, and he said, how little can we get away with and make it even more effective? He took away the keyboard. He simplified the machine of the smartphone down to just one home button and a big glass screen. That's Occam's razor in the technology world. That's Occam's razor in effect. That's Occam's razor saying entities should not be multiplied without necessity. Now, in his world, that was getting rid of the keyboard, get rid of all those buttons just for one button. But how could you incorporate Occam's razor in your financial life? Maybe it's choosing which expenses are absolutely necessary and which are unnecessary complications. I'm thinking about entities in your budget, right? Things like Disney Plus, Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, maybe they're all multiplying <laughs> unnecessarily. Those subscription services, or maybe getting dinner every night through takeout by default, or maybe it's those old memberships to salons and gyms and spas that you no longer frequent, either because you can't or just don't have a desire to anymore. It's not your salary that will make you rich, Mark Tyrell says. It's not your salary that will make you rich, but it's your spending habits that will make you rich. Now, while we're all stuck in this new lifestyle, whatever your lifestyle looks like right now, I'm sure it's not exactly the same as it was on Valentine's Day. 
So as long as we're in this new lifestyle for at least the next few months until vaccines and treatments come out, maybe one silver lining here is that you could take stock of your spending habits and you can make your life more enjoyable in the process. So what I've got for you guys today are six tips to spend less and yet enjoy life more. So use these tips and you'll be just amazed at how easy it is to spend less while enjoying a richer life. The first tip number one, be clear about wants versus needs. Ads are deliberately designed to have us believe that we need lots of things. From the latest gadgets to that trendy new shoe to a house in the Hamptons. They tell us that we're not sexy or successful or cool without buying what they're selling. Man, Instagram is crazy about this. You know, showing you exactly what the influencers' lifestyles look like. Their messages are going to haunt us in our dreams, drive us to spend what we don't have, to buy what we don't really want, to impress people we don't even like. Now think back to that commercial. Maybe it's an ad you saw on YouTube or TV. Maybe it's an advertisement for an energy drink, something you've seen for a thousand times over and over until you just, it's almost background noise. But then wait a minute, ask yourself, if you are honest with yourself, ask yourself if you eventually bought what they were selling you. Now with YouTube ads, Facebook ads, they can even track your web browsing habits, following you around the web, whispering into your digital ear to give you more targeted advertising, even if you're not on their website. Now here's something I can say has worked for me, and I know it's worked for other clients. I recommend taking three box breaths before clicking on that buy button on the Amazon app or wherever you're making that purchase. What is a box breath? A box breath is a certain type of breathing where you count to four while breathing in, hold it for another four seconds, breathe out and count to four, and then leave it out for four seconds before breathing in again. That's called box breathing, and it can help with your willpower. Really, I'm serious. Take 30 seconds. I'll wait for you here. Pause this podcast and breathe in the box breath at least three times. All right? So while you're breathing, don't look at your screen. Don't listen to anything else, but close your eyes if you can. Don't do it if you're driving, of course, but just take that moment and breathe in and breathe out. Do that before you make a purchase, all right? And if you can do that before you hit the buy button, you might just stop and say, do I really need this thing that I'm about to purchase? Ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen if I don't buy this such and such thing? So that's our first strategy is something called box breathing before you make a purchase. Now on to another very exciting tool you can use to discover if buying something will give you actual lasting pleasure or if that something will end up collecting dust and all the pleasure sucked out of it and soon forgotten. So we call this the spending pleasure meter. Now this tool was originally designed and built by Pamela Yellen and her team. What it does is it allows you to gauge your spending pleasure before you make that purchase. How many times have we bought that something only to have it just have a 30 second high before it's moved over to the back shelf of your toy closet or your junk drawer, right? 
the spending pleasure meter lets you measure your satisfaction before you buy it. How cool is that? So this is a fun and actually very revealing way to determine whether that purchase will be a real pleasure or just a waste before you buy. So the next time you're considering a non-essential purchase, not your toilet papers and your vegetables, let's say, but let's say you're looking at a non-essential purchase, ask yourself these five quick questions and let our spending pleasure meter guide you. First question, how long have I wanted this and seriously considered its purchase? If it's less than two days, you get zero points. Two days to a week, you get one point. One week to a month, three points. More than one month, you get five points. See, all right, so that's the first one. The second question, did I want this before I saw someone else with something similar? Six points for yes. I did want this before I saw the Joneses down the street had one. Zero points for no. I only wanted it because I saw my neighbor had one. Third question, the last time I purchased a similar item, how long did my enjoyment last? A lot longer than expected, you get three points. B, about as long as I expected, simply one point. C, not very long at all, come to think of it, put zero points down. Okay, number four, if I finance or charge this item, will I still be paying for it after the pleasure is gone? Zero points for yes, one point for no. Number five, question number five, the last question. Can I postpone this purchase for a month without causing harm, discomfort, or inconvenience to myself or others? No points either way for this one, but if you can postpone the purchase, why not put it off? You might be surprised that in a month you didn't need it or it's on sale after a month. Great. So at the end of that, you total up all your points, and here's what the scores mean. Using our spending pleasure meter. If your points totaled 13 to 15 points, go for it. Go get it. Buy that thing. It's going to be a worthwhile purchase. It's going to give you lasting pleasure. 9 to 12 points, give it a pause. Or just wait a while. Maybe you have some mixed feelings. Wait a few days. Revisit this spending pleasure meter. Test yourself again on the purchase. 6 to 8 points, probably not. You know, your heart could probably go find happiness elsewhere or live without it. And if you get 0 to 5 points, are you serious? This is about as pleasurable as flushing money down the toilet. Something else could give you way more satisfaction. Okay, if you'd like to see this spending pleasure meter, we have created a form you can fill out and use it. Keep it bookmarked on your browser or in your uh, smartphone and use it before you make your next purchase. It's very simple, a lot of fun. I think you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So go to our show notes to, for this episode to see the spending pleasure meter and give it a whirl. So I would love to get your feedback on this new tool, the Spending Pleasure Meter. So give it a try and then take a screenshot of it and email us a picture of your results and how you used it to make a change in your spending habits. Email us at hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com. I'd love to see how you're engaging this tool and using it in the wild to curb your impulses. Okay, speaking of curbing your impulse, let's go on to tip number two. Remember, these are our tips for spending less but enjoying life more. So curb the impulse and break the spell. That's the tip number two. We've all been there. We're in a checkout line at the grocery store, and we see that incredible-looking candy bar. It reminds us that we skimped on lunch. We could use a boost. And then all of a sudden, candy bars just fly into your shopping cart. Or, or let's say you're not at the grocery store, but you're on your couch and you're pursuing Amazon's 
infinite online store and these hundreds of recommended or sponsored items start showing up right next to the toothpaste you need to get on there to buy. And before you know it, toothpaste never makes it into your cart, but tons of other stuff does. And then a day or so later, boxes start showing up at your doorstep, piling high to the ceiling. And once again, we find ourselves stuffing yet another blouse and pair of shoes and rollerblades and anything else into our already stuffed closets. So here's an easy trick that can help curb that impulse. The next time you feel that urge to buy something that you didn't have on a list somewhere to buy, like a grocery list, clench your fist or flex your bicep. And it's unbelievable, guys, but that is a way to break the spell and you can actually think clearly again before you make that purchase. You can still buy stuff you didn't plan on buying, but practice that little tip, you know, just clenching the fist or flexing your bicep, and you'll watch your willpower will get a boost right when you need it the most. So that's tip number two. Tip number three for spending less and enjoying life more is to wrap up your charge cards, your credit cards. I'm really serious here. Grab some paper and wrap your charge cards with your goals. So write your goal on a sheet of paper and then wrap around that credit card your goal. So that means every time you take your card out at a store, you're going to see a picture or some words that represent the goal that's important to you. That next trip you want to take or fixing up the kitchen or sending your kid to college. You'll get the opportunity to stop and decide whether what you're about to purchase with that credit card is more important than your goal. You have to literally remove your goal before you can swipe that card. Or if it doesn't undermine your goal, you might go ahead and buy the thing, or you might decide that you'll get more satisfaction out of, and being a step closer to your goal out of not purchasing that item, but instead pursuing the goal instead. It's, it's a win-win every time you do this. Now you could also try making your goals, for example, the background image of your smartphone or your desktop computer. If you write out your financial goals in a way that you can see them in the same space where you're making the purchase, you can really help provide a counterbalance to all of what advertising executives are throwing at you. So make your goals creative, make them engaging, make them fun. Put a picture of the Maldives on your desktop or make a you know picture of your favorite car that you'd like to save up and buy on the background of your smartphone. Put those images to that vacation you want or the college you want to send your kid to, put it right where you might otherwise make that purchase. Tip four for spending less and enjoying life more is to seek out the big happy versus the little happy. Now, what makes you happy? I don't know you uh, like you know you, but I know that having a spiffy car or an expensive, elegant bed sheet feels great for a while. But what makes you truly happy? That true happiness, we'll call it the big happy, for most of us is having memorable experiences and being with and being glad to be with the people we love. The other stuff we're chasing, it's usually what we call the little happy. Fleeting and not very fulfilling. Remember that one, the more you own, the more you have to clean. (laughs) That's just plain and simple truth. The more stuff you have, the more stuff that needs to be cleaned, So when you're thinking about purchasing a brand new side table, remember it's one more thing that's going to collect dust. Second, keep in mind that the more stuff you have, the less time you'll have to enjoy that stuff. 
If you've got a ton of video games, Blu-rays, power tools, clothes, anything else in abundance, you're probably going to struggle to pick out exactly what you want to enjoy today. There's so many options, so many dresses, so many shoes, whatever. It just makes it hard to know what you're going to enjoy today. And that makes having more stuff make each item less happiness-inducing. Number three, material things only provide temporary happiness. That's important to realize. When you get that new gaming system, a new picture, anything else, a new piece of art, you're also purchasing an expiration date. I want you to actually literally see an expiration date on the item you're buying. That brand new, beautiful looking kitchen gadget, it actually has an expiration date on it. It's actual breakage date, but also the date where your happiness begins to fall. And they actually have a term for this. It's called perceived obsolescence. And product engineers and advertisers work together to decide exactly when us consumers will stop thinking of this new lawnmower as new and become that old clunky thing that just needs to be replaced. And their job is to move that date as fast as possible to the front of our calendars so we have to go buy that new and improved lawnmower. So realize that everything in our house has an expiration date. Now here's one final pro tip before we move on. If you're a visual learner, you can actually envision yourself, literally envision yourself throwing away the item before you buy it. Since everything has a shelf life, you might actually see yourself taking that brand new PlayStation 5 and throwing it out the back into the garbage bin. That, if you're a visual learner, will have an impact on how much you'll really desperately need to buy that thing or working extra overtime hours to buy that thing that has the expiration date on it. Can you remember the last time you were dreaming of buying a new car or getting a promotion at work, moving into a nicer house or finding a partner to share life with? Do you remember fantasizing about how happy you'd be if you just attained that thing? If you finally did attain one of those items, those beautiful uh, moments in life or that incredible spouse, you may have found that the happiness boost didn't last as long or as intense as you might have imagined. Most of us go through this cycle. In fact, psychologists have a word for it. It's called the hedonic treadmill. Sometimes they call it hedonic adaptation, but the hedonic treadmill is a theory suggesting that people repeatedly return to their baseline level of happiness regardless of what happens to them. And Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I think, says it best. He said, our conveniences, by becoming habitual, had almost entirely ceased to be enjoyable. And at the same time, denigrated into true needs, it became much more cruel to be deprived of them than to possess them was sweet. And men were unhappy to lose them without being happy to possess them. Boy, that is a great quote about the hedonic treadmill <laughs> that we become essentially hooked on what we become accustomed to. And I've heard it said elsewhere by Parkinson's law that a luxury once enjoyed becomes a necessity. And over time, those necessities don't bring us pleasure. You know, I don't really feel happy when I see my car's air conditioning turn on. I expect it to turn on. And yeah, I'm sure when air conditioning was a brand new thing in cars, it was unbelievably enjoyable, but not forever. It's a hedonic treadmill. So how do we pursue happiness without grinding our bones into an unsatisfied dust? Studies have shown that our uh, circumstances don't account for most of our happiness. 
Wow, that's a big statement. Each person has a happiness set point. It's almost like we have a default mode. This set point for happiness is responsible for about 50% of the differences in happiness between person to person. So a notable piece of research on this hedonic treadmill studied two sets of people. One group of people were those who had won large lottery prizes, and the other group was a group of accident victims who were now paralyzed, including quadriplegic and paraplegic people. So the research realized and revealed that in the long term, neither group appeared to be happier than the other. This was a study by Brickman, Coates, and Janoff Bullman in 1978. So of course, the lottery winners and the paralysis victims, initially their reactions of happiness and sadness were experienced respectively. Of course, right? No one would dispute that. But the effects did not turn to be long-lasting, and people in both groups shortly reverted to their previous level of happiness. In the original theory of this hedonic treadmill, Brickman and Campbell, who did the original studies, proposed that people immediately react to good and bad events, but in a relatively short period of time return to their baseline. This was a study way back in 1971. So, guys, if their theory of the hedonic treadmill is correct, any effort to increase happiness, they would say, is pointless. Meaning if our happiness set point is on the low end of the human civilization spectrum, we're just going to be unhappy mopes for life. So that was the result of their study. But my question is, can our long-term average level of happiness change? And do we have any control over that long-term average level of happiness? Well, I have some good news, and that is that Recent studies have concluded that we can actually impact our happiness baseline. A longitudinal study that examined changes in the baseline level of well-being over a period of 17 years in a very large sample of Germans, actually it was a German study, the study found that there are quite a number of internal circumstances under our voluntary control. And if we're able and if we decide to change them, then our, our level of happiness is likely to lastingly increase. That's their word, lastingly increase. Now, all of these changes do not happen without our intentional and very real effort. So let's pick up on one of the internal circumstances in our next tip. Remember, we've got six tips. We're in tip number five now. Tip five for spending less and enjoying life more is to be consistently and consciously grateful. Now, studies have shown that a conscious practice of gratitude, such as writing in your gratitude journal for five minutes a day, has beneficial effects on our health, relationships, emotional well-being, even our career. It lowers our blood pressure, makes people like us more, and even makes us better bosses, according to their studies. But did you know it also helps you become a more conscious spender? When we practice gratitude, we feel wealthier in all of the prosperous meanings of that word. Our self-esteem is greater, and we just generally feel happy and appreciative of many aspects of our lives. Because of this, we're less likely to crave material goods or feed on emotional needs. So a study by Barbara Fredrickson and colleagues uh, of hers showed that a stream of positive emotions induced through loving-kindness meditation would outpace the effects of the hedonic treadmill. This is a study done in 2008. So this idea of loving-kindness meditation, it's basically a form of 
meditation that evokes feelings of warmth and care for oneself and others. So it's a meditation that evokes feelings of warmth and care for oneself and others. So researchers suggest that this kind of mind training practice not only changes the immediate emotional state of our heart and mind, but it also reshapes the enduring personality traits by helping us learn about the nature of our desires, our mind. So we, we kind of learn that we regularly crave going out and buying a bunch of, you know, junk food, for example, or, you know, the, the latest gadgets or the latest car or whatever your thing is. And that practicing that loving kindness meditation would help dismantle your assumptions about what leads to real happiness in your heart and your mind. Now, these are real, actual bottom line strategies. This is just like picking small cap versus large cap stock. If it means you're going to end up with more money in your net worth at the end of the year because you made a conscious choice to be more grateful, that seems like a free financial strategy. No one's going to charge you an asset center management fee to learn how to meditate. So that's cool. Now, here are a few action steps for amplifying your level of happiness. One, give yourself permission to be human. You have to learn to accept your emotions. This is actually really hard for me to do. I'm really trying, and my wife really helps me to do this. She helps me to really figure out what I'm actually feeling after a given day at work, let's say. So you really have to learn to accept your emotions, including fear, sadness, anxiety. And if you just reject that you have emotion, you're going to end up being frustrated, not aware of why you're doing what you're doing. Second piece here. Simplify your life. Focus on one thing at a time. Reduce multitasking will really help you with amplifying your level of happiness. Number three, find meaning and pleasure. Engage in your goals that you want to achieve instead of just doing what you feel obligated to do every day. Spend maybe two hours a week on just vocations and hobbies and things that you just like doing. Spend time with people you love and people who love being around you. Step four here, focus on the positive and be grateful. Each day, write down five things for which you're grateful for. Put it in a journal, write it down, or just throw it on a sticky note, even if you throw it away immediately later. By simply putting it down on paper will help you focus back on the positive and be grateful. Number five here is increase the effort you put into your important relationships. Go on a date with your spouse or significant other. Spend more time talking to your children. Finally, number six, be mindful of the mind-body connection through exercise and the practice of that mindfulness meditation we talked about, those breathing exercises I mentioned earlier. Research, guys, has shown that exercising leads to decreased levels of depression and increased levels of optimism in your goals. So that is number five, is to learn to be conscious and grateful and doing that consistently over time. Tip number six, Know your spending triggers. Now, in psychology, a, quote, trigger is an unconscious connection that causes you to feel and react in certain ways. You may not know it. You may not even know the original cause, but the reaction you have is very consistent. For example, let's say that scent of cinnamon makes you instantly hungry and craving a sticky bun or a snickerdoodle, let's say. Now, maybe another trigger you have is when you hear sirens or see flashing lights, it might cause your palms to sweat and your heart to race when you know the emergency has nothing to do with you. 
So the trick with working with your spending triggers is to bring them into the light of day. Do you feel driven by extravagant holiday gifts as soon as Amazon's website is painted with red and green? When a family member comes to you asking for help, do you instantly pull out your pocketbook and start handing them cash? When you have a rough day at work, do you crave some retail therapy just to feel better? When you're out with old friends, are you the one that orders everybody the most expensive drinks? What websites or apps do you tend to spend the most money on? Could you name maybe the top five offending websites? The key to number six, knowing your spending triggers, is to, quote, know thyself, if you know that phrase, know thyself, especially knowing your triggers so you can outwit them. Maybe, for example, you put all of your apps on your smartphone into a special folder and title it, quote, spend less on these. <laughs> that would be cool. Or maybe just delete the app altogether. Force yourself to use your computer instead of your thumbs to make purchases. That might just help a little bit, right? Now, that was our six tips. I do have a quick bonus tip for those wanting to hear it. And because you sucked through the whole episode, I think this will be a lot of fun. Now, for most people, we all receive our paychecks in our checking account, all right? And we spend all month long and then see what we can have left over at the end of each month to scratch over into our savings account. We take that remaining money and put it into our savings account or somewhere else at the end of each month. Now, I regularly have, let's just say, less than positive things to say about 401ks, and they were introduced a few decades ago to save money, and they had a portion of that 401k, which was called salary deferral. And that allowed you to get that money out of that person's paycheck, your employee's paycheck, and into that 401k but before it even appeared on your pay stub. Recently, Richard Thaler, who's uh, written some books on behavioral economics, even won a Nobel Prize, he noticed how helpful that little strategy has been for the average person. Now, what if we took the best parts of human behavioral psychology but did away with the 401k and did something better with that cash instead? What if you asked your employer to simply send your direct deposit pay stubs into your savings account each month? Not your checking account, but your savings account. That would force you to move money from your savings over to your checking so you could make your spending and your purchases happen. But you would only move over money you needed to spend. Maybe you did that once a week. If you did that, you'd have to figure out, hey, what do I need to spend on my money this week? I would suppose that you're going to spend less money if you had to move money manually from savings over to checking. You'd have to consciously spend that cash so you didn't overdraft. You'd be able to save more money and even transfer some of that money out of your savings account and into more efficient vehicles like bank on yourself type policies. So, you know, Warren Buffett is famous for saying, and I'll give him the quote here. He says, do not save what is left after spending. Spend what is left after saving. Boy, that's a great quote and a great bonus tip. So a few takeaways as we wrap up today's episode. One, don't hesitate to contact me if you'd like to discuss ways to get better at handling your budget or your finances. You can simply go to our website, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on request a meeting, and let's schedule an intro call. Now's, now's a great chance to reset the button on your financial life in the midst of all these changes that we're going through this year in 2020. Takeaway number two, start a spending journal. Maybe notice and reflect on your purchases. 
How could you be just one inch better this week than last week? Tip and takeaway number three, ask HR to change your direct deposit details to put money into your savings account and then consciously move from savings to checking a little bit of your money each week. Just try it for a month or three months. It's going to be difficult at first. Obviously, you're going to have good days and bad days, but you'll see how powerful it can be at increasing your savings just by making that one simple change. Access the spending pleasure meter, the final takeaway. Grab our spending pleasure meter, try it out. Keep it in your favorites on your browser or download it onto your smartphone. When shopping online or in store, ask yourself the five questions that we mentioned earlier in this episode before you click that buy button or before you put it in your shopping cart. Now, with a few minutes left, I want to go over some really cool things. As always, I want to start with a listener shout out and... This person's name, I'm not even sure how to say the name. It's got a zero and a dollar sign in there. So let's just get to the review. Uh, This person says, honest advice. When I first heard of using whole life insurance policies to bank, I was skeptical. And then skepticism grew when I could find so much information out there. And I feel so fortunate to find a source of information that is honest. Thank you for helping me see the value of whole life insurance. Well, thank you to you, our dear listener. And again, guys, check out the uh, five-star reviews and leave one yourself at our Apple Podcast webpage. You can find it on Apple Podcasts website, or you can, if you use podcasts on Apple, you can leave a five-star review, take a screenshot of that review, and send it to hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com. Happy to send you a book free of charge uh, to you if you can do that. Be very happy to uh, send you a book from Pamela Yellen's best-selling book list, whichever book you choose, Bank on Yourself Revolution or her latest book, The Rescue Your Retirement Book. The next announcement I have, and this is huge, so guys, get ready. We have a live event. It's a live webinar event coming up. Now, if you failed at consistent business profitability in the past, it is not your fault. If you've been concerned in the past that you can't succeed with consistent, consistent business profitability, you can put those fears to rest. Average CPAs and financial planners want you to think that you cannot make your business work for you or build wealth no matter what happens to your business without them, without those CPAs and those average financial planners. But guys, it's not true. If you've ever thought that average CPAs and financial planners want you to keep struggling you're probably right. So we're here to show you how to use time-tested systems to manage cash flow, leverage your assets, and increase profit margins during our upcoming live Not Your Average Financial Podcast episode. It's going to be on Saturday, September 12th at 10 a.m. Central Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We've got the link to register and the form to register right in our show notes. So remember, it's Saturday, September 12th, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central. Find our registration form in the show notes. We also want to mention that you can get on our mailing list. We get out episodes emailed to you right to your inbox every single week. You want to do this so you don't miss any of our amazing free content we're giving out each week. We also give out exclusive access to live calls, office hours, and Q&A with me, as well as our esteemed guests. And if you're not already on our mailing list, Give it a shot and let us make sure we get every episode right to your inbox so you can see everything we're up to and learn more about how to take control of your financial future. 
And speaking of your financial future, thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.